Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. The Mother Earth is Unchimaka, the grandmother of everything. And the water is her blood, and to this blood we live. We've been here for thousands of years. We have always been citizens of these lands. But whenever there's a resource that needs to be exploited, our lands just kept getting taken. We didn't have say. And that has been inflicted on our people for over 200 years. Stand up with the First Nations and our people that have been living here for thousands of years. Stand up. We've been fighting for our freedom since the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria. Stand up. Like Geronimo, Sitting Bull, Red Cloud, Crazy Horse, Leonard Peltier. Stand up. Now they poisoning the waters for our sons and our daughters, so we on the frontier. We won. One nation, one cause, one people, one tribe. Now it's us against the pipeline. What we see is we have militarized the energy industry with a governor who believes that you can treat Indian people poorly. Three years ago, a woman froze to death on the Standing Rock Reservation because she couldn't pay her heating bill. And now you're planning a $3.9 billion pipeline that will help nobody but oil companies. It's really infrastructure for oil companies and not for people. So before we get started on our table talk, I thought it would be nice to lead in with the Stand Up for Standing Rock uh, song and video, which uh, by Taboo, which won a, um, a VMA last year for Best Social Justice Video. Yeah, so um, uh, shout out to those uh, indigenous water protectors who worked so hard to reverse the Dakota Access Pipeline um, at Standing Rock. Uh, I know it didn't work, but I just wanted to sort of shout out and start this table talk about the politics and economics of water by recognizing our indigenous brothers and sisters who are out there even now. These water protectors are traveling the nation fighting for water rights for different communities and fighting these pipelines or the black snakes. One article I just read, the uh, Standing Rock, the protest at Standing Rock spawned a generation of water protectors and they're now moving to block pipelines from coast to coast, places like Huntington County, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. Mawa, New Jersey, Tacoma, Washington. And in Minneapolis recently, there was a protest of U.S. Bank by indigenous water protectors demanding that the company keep its promise to divest from oil and gas pipelines. And one of the companies that they said they would divest from is Energy Transfer Partners, which was the company behind the Dakota Access Pipeline. So there are indigenous water protectors, um, a growing number of them, working on all of our behalf, fighting these oil and gas pipelines and fighting to protect water across our land. So I wanted to shout out to them and say thank you. Yeah, that's it's so important to watch these people embodying protest to protect water. And water is such a multifaceted issue. It's something we don't think about a lot, but it's the reason 
that we wanted to talk about it today. Yeah. I think the Flint water crisis got water issues onto people's radar. So you, as a scholar of indigenous rhetorics, and me as a post-colonial scholar, water is has been an issue in theory that I've been reading and political theory that I've been reading since I started studying. I'm glad that, well, I'm not glad Flint happened, but I'm glad that people started talking about water issues, but there have been a lot of people saying for a long time that water is life. And we look, if we look at these ecological crises, they all seem to stem back to water, right? Yeah. The glaciers are melting. This uh, drought is affecting these people mm-hmm. and a war occurs. Uh, these people don't have access to water. These people want to make sure the water stays pristine. But we start to look at crisis points and water does seem to be the crux of so many of them. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it is it is the lifeblood of our bodies. It is the lifeblood of our of our world. You have the oceans the you know, the the earth is mostly water. (laughs) I mean, if without water, what is it? Three days without water, we would die. I mean, so water is when when you hear the Standing Rock protesters say mini with Joni water is life right mm-hmm. and you hear other people in other communities and other contexts saying something Vandana Shiva says all the time right in Indian communities water is life indigenous mm-hmm. communities protecting water yeah. in it's, South Asia it's sad to me that more of us don't really think of it that way and respect it that way instead of trying to make it a commodity and, and privatize it but we'll get to that in a bit so tell <laughs> us tell us what tell us what the writer says well I I wanted to bring every Everybody's attention to the issue of water and how it's been playing out in conflict. Um, in 1995, the vice president of the World Bank said, if the wars of this century were fought over oil, the wars of the next century will be fought over water. And wow. we are seeing that. We're yeah. seeing embodied protests trying to protect this amazing life force. Resource. Resource and how we can draw a direct line in current conflicts and how they're connected to water, to a drought, or to, like in in the Standing Rock situation, to the protection of land. Mm -hmm. That there is ecofeminism in particular draws connections to feminist activism and environmentalism. That these, these resources of water and when they are taken away often affect women Um, that women are often responsible for getting water, for making sure the family has water, that water becomes this focal point for communities coming together, as we saw Mm -hmm. in Flint, as we saw in Standing Rock, Mm -hmm. as we see South Asia, as we see um, in drought situations on the African continent, that every issue at the end of it seems to connect to H2O, connects to water, just like we do. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we need to think about how water plays a role in conflict, and maybe we can look at water in a different way. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I, and I wanted us to sort of... Well, ad- thank you. Yeah. I, think <laughs> <laughs> I want us to grapple even briefly with the idea, and I see this a lot in the conversations that I see coming across the newsfeed and in articles that I see about, you know, what you're talking about, having a conversation about water and where it fits into the idea of conflict in society and community. Is water a human right or is it a commodity? And and Vanda Nishiva and ecofeminists would say it's a human right. It's a human right. (laughs) However, I'm sure there's lots of companies that would like to say it's a private commodity. Well, before we get there, 
Let's. Mm. I wanted to. I found um, the UN General Assembly passed mm-hmm. a resolution in 2010 that explicitly recognized the human right to water and sanitation, and acknowledged that clean drinking water and sanitation are essential to the realization of all human rights. So mm. this idea that it is the one crux element that brings that everything else rotates around. The resolution called on states countries and international organizations to provide financial resources help capacity building and technology transfer to help countries in particular developing nations to provide safe clean accessible and affordable drinking water and sanitation for all Mm -hmm. so you know in in developing nations yes but then you think of a situation like flint um, right Mm -hmm. here at home or some of these issues with companies that are fracking doing the mm-hmm. to extract natural gas out of the ground and end up poisoning the water for entire communities i mean it's not just developing nations that are having these water issues right like cape town r- ran out of water i, I mean a city having runs a out runs out of water and so then the wealthy can get their hands on water mm-hmm. the marginalized cannot do not have access to it I mean, I don't think of South Africa as a developing nation. Right. I don't think of Flint, Michigan, you know, as a developing no, nation. Right. I don't think of New Orleans after Katrina mm-hmm. or Puerto Rico right now. You know, this is the primary concern that we have about these communities. Like, they don't have this, the crux, the cornerstone of their community is water. And when that is gone, everything else, it, it almost doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter because without water, you're, you, you as a person, your community, nothing functions. Right. We, nothing children functions. Children in Flint People were being die. poisoned. Right. Children <laughs> are suffering from lead yeah. poisoning for the rest of their lives because they did not have access to that human right of, of water clean, and it's not and that's the thing i like how the un um really expanded it's not just water it's clean safe accessible and affordable right. drinking water and sanitation right so there was a 2016 report by patricia jones and amber moulton for the unitarian universalist service committee called the invisible crisis water unaffordability in the united states and i wanted to pull out just some information from that report Quote, in some major U.S. cities, the cost of household water services has risen over 40% from 2010 to 2015. I mean, people have huge water bills. Right. Huge water bills. So in the U.S. today, accessing publicly supported water and sanitation is considered a privilege, not a legal right. Mm -hmm. The challenge of paying for needed investments in water and sanitation infrastructure (laughs) and the impending impacts of climate change will require a global effort to promote, protect, and fulfill the human right to water and sanitation. So obviously this report, these authors take a stand, calling it a human right. And the report also makes recommendations to service providers of water and governments that provide water, such as establishing affordability standards and programs for safe drinking water and sanitation for both urban and rural communities. They suggest that costs should not exceed two and a half percent of a monthly household income for all services. So that's, mm-hmm. so your water, your sewer and water they're, bill. Right, they're yeah. saying that your sewage, your refuse, your water bill combined should not be more than two and a half percent of your monthly household income. Mm-hmm. And so when it becomes greater than that, and I think we're starting to see that, it becomes a problem. They also suggest prioritizing and targeting all water and sanitation funding to protect the rights of those without access and other vulnerable populations first, 
followed that by other investments in water infrastructure as needed. So Grist wrote an article about this after this report came out, and they break it down as follows. Aging infrastructure plus warming climate equals rising prices. Yeah. It's simple. So on average, the cost of clean water and wastewater service has risen 41% over the last five years. The fundamental problem is that municipalities treat water as a pay-as-you-go product rather than as a public good supported by tax revenue, such as what we would expect from police or public schools. That's mm-hmm. It's services. just there. You just need there. it, and it's there. Even critics of this report, sort of, you know, the people who are on the other side of the aisle um, thinking that it's more a commodity, even critics agree that water and wastewater rates have been rising at twice the rate of inflation for at least 15 years, Mm. becoming a significant utility bill and a bigger part Mm -hmm. of family budgets, Mm -hmm. which even... Mine went up like 20 bucks in one year. I was like, what? Right. So there's a man named Ed Osan. He's a water analyst at the nonprofit organization Natural Resources Defense Council. And he suggested that water utilities should adopt policies um, that charge more for usage during peak summer months Hmm. and above a certain threshold so in combination right so you kind of like get everybody gets a real good solid baseline and then mm-hmm. if you over overuse then you right. pay okay. so the um, the idea that anyone using more than that sort of certain that baseline amount of water is most likely using it to water their lawn right or wash their car they're every not, week or yeah they're, they're not, not using they're not it for drink, life they're not drinking it <laughs> right they're not drinking it and or bathing, bathing in right. it so this would shift the cost burden toward the wealthy or the upper middle class who can afford it better and it would also encourage conservation right because if you know that you're going to pay more because you're going to water your lawn and keep it beautifully green all summer maybe you think twice about doing that every day right and so that's a good thing so final okay any you want to say anything else about the the idea of clean water and clean available affordable sanitation well i I also i want to point out the that that women are often endangered when they have to seek out water Something we don't think about a lot is how far women have to go to get water, how vulnerable women who usually are the ones who get water for their families can be. So if there's one shared well, um, the number of hours that a woman or a girl child might spend just getting water and how vulnerable she might be walking to the well just because you're walking the same path every day. People are, you know, they know that you're going to go there. So a lot of... um, a lot of crimes against women often happen in their in their ongoing daily need to get water. So this is not right. Like safety is connected to water as well. It's not that everybody just gets to turn on their tap. We're really lucky that we can count on. I hope mm-hmm. that water being safe. But there are a lot of women who are vulnerable because of the need for water, and it's not there. Going to rivers, right? Like yeah. the. the Women find themselves outside of domestic spaces and are often vulnerable mm-hmm. when they are outside of domestic spaces. Definitely something to keep in mind because, I, I mean, I even remember when we went to Cuba and we we were both saying, like, wow, we are so lucky we can just turn on a tap and get a drink. And we had to plan to buy that bottled water so mm-hmm. that we had enough water. It was even that shift mm-hmm. was, yep. I mean, it, we take so much for granted in this country that we have safe in some parts of the country in some parts yeah. of the country that we have but for the safe, most part we have safe treated water. Yep. you know water and sanitation services that takes all our shit literally away from our homes yeah <laughs> so i just wanted to end this table talk about 
the politics and economics of water with a particularly what, okay, this is just me personally. I find this trend to be disturbing for many reasons. You <laughs> this know is what like, I'm, you know this what I'm is like say. bottled water to the nth degree. Like I already have this a problem is, with bottled water, yeah. but this is like crazy talk. There's this. This is Gwyneth Paltrow shit mm-hmm. right here. This is anti-vaxxer shit. This is. <laughs> Goop shit. Okay. This is the raw water movement. I'm calling it a fad for the wealthy. But that's just me. Um, there's, there's a website called I Fucking Love Science, IFL Science. And they just did an article, Meet 2018's Newest Bonkers Health Trend, Raw Water. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's, a, there's a movement on the West Coast. Primarily, of course. <laughs> so sorry, West Coast. But sorry. Primarily affluent areas mm-hmm. such as San Francisco mm-hmm. and Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. Mm-hmm. It's all that Google From, money. For these people, their attempt to get off the water grid. So there are companies. So imagine that level of privilege I, yes. that you're like, I got to get off this water grid I'm that gonna, like other the other half of the world would kill to be on. Yeah. Because what is fluoride killing them? What's killing them on the grid? So, okay. So there's a company and I'm not going to name it. I don't want <laughs> to give them. I don't want to give any of these We companies. shall call them Schlubbada. Yeah. Schlubbada company sells two and a half gallons of unfiltered, untreated, unsterilized. Ew, is it quote, so poop water? Spring, quote, spring water Ew. for $37 <gasps> for two and a half gallons. People are paying for Giardia? So their claim <laughs> is that there's some loosely defined probiotic quality to the mm. water. Well, if you shit out enough, I guess, from so, the Giardia, all the good bacteria so are left to I, remain. I will say that I watch... Alaska, The Last Frontier, and some of these, you know, wilderness type shows, and some of those folks living up by a glacier, they actually have probably safe, good, clean, untreated glacier water because right. there's I don't no want poop water. There's nobody up there. But let me tell you something else: animals still poop in that water. Right. And pee, so it, and there's runoff. Yeah, it may not be, it may not be as problematic as in the lower forty-eight, but. You're still okay. So anyway, Wait, back so it up. What's I'm, the problem with the water grid? So what it, here, what am oh, I gonna? What's gonna kill me on my safe, clean drinking water? I mean, I don't live in Flint, so no. So lit. Okay, so us using tap water, treating water has saved lives for hundreds of years. <laughs> it's like the base. It's like literally the base of. What has changed human health is understanding, like, what lives in water. But wait, it's even better than that. Public utilities in the U.S. started using chlorine to Mm -hmm. disinfect water in 1908, Mm -hmm. removing dangerous microbes and reducing deaths from diarrhea, Mm -hmm. typhoid, and dysentery, and cholera. Right. Cholera. Do not fuck with cholera. Which is still in a lot of... Right. Cuba, remember? It's in Cuba. I know. I know. It's a huge issue. All spread, all of these are spread by contaminated water. The CDC, so the Centers for Disease Control, called <laughs> called the development of public utilities and the use of chlorine in water, called it one of the greatest public health achievements of the 20th century. And it's like a drop of chlorine, right? Like it's, it's not like chlorinated no, water. It's, yeah, it's, it doesn't take much chlorine to basically kill, kill right. all the bad stuff. Right. So... And I think the raw water I have had people, E. coli. I will take that drop of chlorine in my water, people. It was not pretty. I, was, and I have had deli belly. <laughs> I have had many waterborne illnesses. So, I will take that drop of chlorine. So adherents of this 
raw water movement. Share <sighs> adherence. That's a kind word. Share. Sorry, that's listener. What, that's what they were drinking. calling. That's what they were calling a New York Times article. That's adherence. what they call them. It's like a cult. Adherence. Yes, it is. So um, they share awareness of tap water, particularly, and here you go, the fluoride added to yes. it. Yes. And yes, the, the lead pipes that some of it passes through. Okay. Well, that which, is legitimate. By the way, that's which, legitimate. By the way, because I know someone who works in a water department. Yes, you happen to. I happen to know that most of the lead pipes, most, not all, but most lead pipes in this country are actually home service pipes, old pipes in your house. In your house, right. They're not part of the infrastructure. They're not necessarily. In some places, they are. But in a lot of places, it's mostly in your own damn house where the lead pipes are. Like if you live in an old house and you have lead pipes. Okay. (laughs) So this is the concern, the fluoride and the lead pipes that the water's passing through. These folks contend that the wrong kind of filtration removes beneficial minerals and kills probiotics. Just take a fucking probiotic. I drink kombucha. I like that's my right, nod like, to probiotics. Or drink, eat some yogurt with probiotics. Anyway, uh, the Mayo Clinic director of healthy of the they have a healthy living program. He says what raw water partisans he calls them partisans mm-hmm. see as dangerous. This is like wackadoo are, language. Uh, partisans, adherents are what what these partisans see as dangerous are important safety measures. Without water treatment. There's acute and then chronic risks, including your friend E. coli, oh my God. bacteria, <sighs> viruses, parasites. Ooh, Had it. Been and, there. Been and, there. Check. Check. And carcinogenic compounds. Well, I hope I have not had that. So there's evidence all over the world of this. And the reason we don't have these conditions is because of our very efficient water treatment system. So there may be problems in our own country with getting access to and the privatization movement and everything. I know just Trump just called for that. But the bottom line is, in America, we have generally really good water treatment and 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 afford at least at the moment pretty affordable water and when you go other places in the world you don't have that right so this if you can afford to pay 37 dollars for two and a half gallons of water how much is two and a half gallons what is that like a two liter bottle that was that oh two gallon oh two oh two, yeah so yeah like, like a milk gallon two, gallon, two, two and a half, <laughs> If you can afford that, I, I would respectfully request that you maybe reconsider. Hats off to you, sir, for your audacity. <sighs> oh my God. That is like, I, that, that really, you have money to burn. Yeah. You, I'm like, you could you, just boil your water, couldn't you? Yeah, well, if you were yeah. that concerned. I mean, and, and I understand, you know, of course the treatment kills bad and good. But yes, I would rather eliminate that because guess what? There are other ways to get probiotics. Anyway, I think it's wackadoo, but so right. I think there you go. right water is life. That everything is connected to it, and that if you can probably trace back to some, if you're looking at conflict or imbalance, water probably has some role in that. That's right. In that imbalance, and and look for that. Right. Be smart. Be be looking for the role access to resources plays in any kind of conflict situation. So think about water. Water is political it is economic it is life yeah. water is maybe more complicated than you realize i hope that's what you have come away with <laughs> till next time i wonder how many times we said water 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 water, water. water everywhere what okay not a drop to drink <laughs> like what you're hearing become a patron of our podcast and help us be sustainable click that little green become a patron button on our Podbean page and it'll get you started but here's the cool news 
There are three different patron levels that you can participate in to show your love and support of our hard work for you. A monthly commitment of just $1, which is less than the cost of a cup of coffee, gets you a large, cool, square sticker for your computer with our freshly designed logo, and you can share the love. For $5 a month, you get two stickers, a shout out on Facebook and on the podcast, plus our newest patron level of $8 a month. You'll get all the love and swag of the $1 and $5 levels, but also early access to every episode and expert extra. So join our patron team at this $8 a month level and be in the know before everyone else. All of your donations are greeted with our deepest gratitude. Thanks for keeping us sustainable. Time for... Trumpster Trumpster Fire! Colleen. Amanda. We need to talk about Trump and the Clean Water Act. (laughs) Do those words go together? Sadly. Scotty Scotty Pruitt Pruitt Pruitt. Yeah, sadly. So that's yeah. Scott Pruitt is his mm-hmm. EPA head. Uh, EPA sabotager. Right, EPA sabotager. So basically, the Trump administration wants to repeal an Obama era rule. <laughs> you can start any sentence with that. <laughs> it's literally every sentence begins with that. Okay, so go ahead. Which so, one? Okay, the the rule called the Waters of the U.S. Rule. And this rule expanded the jurisdiction um, over especially smaller rivers, marshes, creeks, streams, things like farm ponds and stuff Mm -hmm. into federal hands. The jurisdiction for things like pollution and development, this rule puts the jurisdiction into the hands of the feds Mm -hmm. instead of the state Mm -hmm. or the local. And so that's what Obama was trying to do was to protect wetlands and waterways from pollution and development. So businesses, to no one's surprise, have claimed they have increased development costs because it's so expensive to consider the pollution of waterways and wetlands. Ugh, so that is probably true. It is true, but you see my sorry. But Crimea River, get it? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so the, there's a sticky wicket of the court system. So the Trump administration wants these cases, uh, challenges to this rule, to be adjudicated in the U.S. Court of Appeals. Mm-hmm. But the Supreme Court, just recently in January, uh, ruled unanimously against this. Wow, unanimously. Unan- and it was unanimous. Wow. Saying that, no, these cases should be heard in federal district courts. Hmm. Now, dozens of these cases, these challenges to this rule, have been filed in both courts, but Trump and his people want them to be heard in the Court of Appeals. Digging down as to why, all I could really see is it's a, like it's a jurisdictional technicality okay. kind of a thing. And I'm, I'm guessing, I'm just guessing here, my speculation is that maybe they think it will be an easier win. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's just me speculating. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. speculating here. Yeah. Okay. So, spitballing. Spitballing. So the Trump administration said that challenges to this rule are under the purview of the appeals courts because the rule touched on the EPA permitting authority. So again, I think this is just one of those like legal distinctions. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme, It matters to them, though. It so matters there must to them. be a reason. Right. So, and the Supreme Court basically said, nope, you're wrong. Um, Again. (laughs) So, and businesses and governments and everybody is saying that the SCOTUS decision does provide needed clarity 
mm-hmm. as to where these courses, these challenges to the rule should be adjudicated. As specifically, SCOTUS opinions mm-hmm. often do, right. often lead <laughs> to clarity. That's the point. Mm. Specifically that the Clean Water Act empowers the federal district courts, not the Court of Appeals, to initially review any legal challenges to this Waters of the U.S. rule. So while some environmentalists are hopeful that this ruling will leave the door open for the clean water rule to be put into effect while the court cases are carried out, the Trump administration does expect a stay on the rule to be finalized shortly. So where it stands right now, the EPA under Scott Pruitt announced on January 31st that the 2015 Waters of the U.S. rule will not be applicable for two years. So at this point, it may never be implemented. And remember, this rule is saying that it's designed to protect smaller waterways. So like the creek behind my house. Right. So like like if a a developer wanted to develop a field and And a creek runs through through it, the feds, the EPA would have to do a study. And I get it. That takes longer. Yes. But also water is life. And so how do we balance those two needs? It's not looking good for this rule. It's not looking good. It's looking like it's going to be back to where it was, which I think is, you know, it's a little looser. Those, So in other words, those waterways under the way it was done, which is where we're going back to, at least for two years, is those smaller waterways and ponds and marshes and stuff do not fall under EPA jurisdiction. So that means it's kind of a free-for-all right. based so on your a community. Mu- a municipality doesn't have any mm-hmm. kind of law or anything in place where mm-hmm. you can grease the hands of somebody. Right. The water is, is not being protected. Right. So the idea of um, protecting water and, and maintaining clean water, not just for ourselves, but for you know our environments and habitats. I mean, this is another move that Trump's administration is making, not just to roll back another Obama-era rule, but it's really sort of flouting the idea that water is is a, a worthwhile resource worth protecting. And you know, this this is not sexy, right? Like, this does not come across news feeds. This is not a sexy story, but I think it's also one of the most important ones we've talked about in a while, because we, we have to know who is protecting the water. And so... If it's going to go down to municipalities, we almost all have to be water protectors yeah. because we can't rely on the federal mm-hmm. structure to do that for us. Yeah. So I would say if you're, you know, taking a walk down the trail in your community and it's a small stream or it's a little pond that it goes around and you're seeing some development of housing development go up and you see a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, uh, chocolate looking water <laughs> yeah. that's runoff from a construction site that needs to be reported just right. as an example. Yeah. I mean, pay attention. We got to pay more attention <laughs> on our own now. We dedicate ourselves to collective resistance, resistance to the billionaire mortgage profiteers and gentrifiers, resistance to the healthcare privateers. As I have said, and as I believe, the advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States.
thank you for understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs are. Sometimes pressing send is not enough. If, if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if, if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, that belief that here in America there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it, then we must work like never before. This episode's fierce woman warrior is... Vandana Shiva. Vandana Shiva has dedicated her career to battling the injustices and causes she cares about. She specifically works to show the world the connections between water rights, human rights, and seed rights, land rights, a lot of things relating to indigenous peoples in South Asia. She has found that her feminism and environmentalism are intimately linked. And she writes about this in her vast bibliography of works. One of my favorites is called Water Wars, Privatization, Pollution, and Profit. This is a great primer for anybody that wants to be inserted into the global water crisis and see how these conflicts of our time that are often camouflaged as ethnic wars or religious wars are in fact conflicts over scarce but vital natural resources, mainly water. Thinking about damming, thinking about international water trade, mining, aqua farming. She looks at water from all these angles and is an activist. She is in the streets organizing people. She created Navdanya, the mission of which is um, to create earth democracy. Navdanya's vision of earth democracy is translated into a mission of creating biodiversity and seed sovereignty, food sovereignty, and water democracy. Their mission is to empower the communities belonging to any religion, caste, sex, group, landless people, small and marginal farmers, deprived women and children, or any other needy person to ensure that they have enough to eat. They live in a healthy environment and are able to take action independently and effectively to become self-reliant through sustainable use of natural resources and fairness and justice in all relationships. Shiva's work surrounding water and water justice has brought to the forefront conversations on TV in India, conversations within academia about the role water plays in conflict and how sometimes if we can solve the water crisis, we can also solve the conflict that surrounds it. Let's take a time out for a media minute. Did you know that sea lions can herd and beach tuna? And that an octopus can escape a shark attack by crafting itself armor out of shells? Have you ever seen a Patagonian toothfish use a rock to open a clam? Or watched dolphins surf for fun? I didn't know any of these things before watching the BBC's nature documentary series, Blue Planet 2. You may enjoy going to the beach or taking a cruise or just watching the waves lap at a rocky coast while on vacation, but you will find an entirely new appreciation for our oceans and the varied marine life worlds within them by watching this miniseries. Not only are the scenes the filmmakers capture 
fascinating. The episodes are beautifully shot with new underwater camera technologies. Blue Planet 2 took four years to make, and each episode runs about an hour. Set your DVR to record Blue Planet 2 on BBC America, download the BBC America app, or watch online at bbcamerica.com. Let's end today's podcast with some activist actions. When I was a wee young lass at Penn State, I remember how everyone had a hub mug. It was a badge of honor to us environmental students. It would hang from the side of our backpack, having an earth on it, and we would reuse it. And I don't know where my hub mugs went, but they did teach me a really valuable lesson about how much I need to use for a container for what I'm about, what I'm drinking. So my call to you today is to reconsider your relationship with bottled water. It seems like not a big deal, but really bottled water companies should include the water in the supply chain. It takes at a minimum three liters of water to produce one liter of bottled water. And when you think about that for a second, and you think about the energy and effort that is going into you having a bottle of water in your hand, that then hopefully you'll recycle. Maybe you'll see that it is significant when you use tap water instead. Now, if you do not have access to safe, clean tap water, then please continue to do what you need to do. But folks who have good water really need to rethink how they contain the water that they're using. Can you buy a cute bottle? Can you get yourself a hub mug? Can you do something? Can you cut in half your bottled water consumption? I have a case of bottled water in my house. It's there for emergencies or when we're running out the door. I'm not saying you have to eschew the convenience of it. But I see many households where the, the primary way that water is consumed is through bottles of water makes no financial or economic sense. So just, you know, think about the next time you know you're going to want some water. Can you fill up a bottle? Is there some way you can reduce your footprint by making a choice to not buy that 99 cent bottle of Aquafina at the Wawa? Is there, is there another option? So just rethink it. Be a little more mindful about your water consumption. Thanks for spending time with us inside 254. You can find us a lot of places online. On Facebook, we're at Inside 254 Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Inside 254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at Inside 254. And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, we're at Inside254Site, S-I-T-E dot WordPress dot com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, and then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow.